Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 220, Alfred and Guthrum, Magic, Madness, Heaven, Sin. This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com for about the price of a pint per month. And thank you very much to Joe, Ben, and Paul for signing up already. It's the year 876, and historians Dudo and Flodoard tell us that a fleet of Vikings slammed into the Frankish city of Rouen and nearly leveled it to the ground. In response to this attack, King Louis the Stammerer, brother of Judith, launched a campaign to oust them. But he never saw this completed, because King Louis fell ill and died not long thereafter. The kingdom of the Franks was then split between Louis's two sons, Carloman II and Louis III. This death and the political restructuring that followed didn't end the Frankish fight against the Vikings. But... That fleet that nearly raised Rouen was there to stay, and they were led by a man named Rolfer. Though, you probably know him by the name the Franks gave him, Rollo. This single event on the continent would go on to change the course of British history forever. Rolfer, at this point, was just an obscure Viking from an unknown lineage. But he's the founder of the House of Normandy, the house that will eventually come to rule England. And later records actually tell us that Hrolfer even befriended Guthrum at some point. And speaking of Guthrum, he's been in Cambridge for quite some time now. He's been plotting, planning, and as Alfred had already fought a Viking fleet of seven ships, he was also apparently free of any obligation of peace purchased by the earlier Danegeld if indeed he ever felt that he was bound by it in the first place. But that didn't mean that Guthrum could just immediately launch into war. This West Saxon king was clever, and he'd proven that he would make the Danes pay with blood for every ounce of treasure stolen. Even mighty half-Dan Ragnarsson had found himself tested by this young king. So a direct fight would be risky, and generally, the Danes didn't like risky. They liked easy plunder. So Guthrum would need to find a way to tip the scales in his favor. The obvious choice would be to take King Alfred by surprise. And what better way to do that than by attacking in winter? The Anglo-Saxons didn't normally wage war in the winter months. So as the nights grew longer, the Anglo-Saxons became less vigilant. And Halfdan had already proven that that could be a significant advantage when he seized Reading all those years earlier. I mean, that was a strike that threw Wessex into disarray, and it nearly brought an end to the kingdom. Trying that trick again would make a degree of sense, and perhaps that's why some popular historians like Pollard have claimed that Guthrum's plan was to attack in midwinter. However, I should tell you that I can't find any direct textual source that supports that contention. The Chronicle, Asser, Athelweird, none of them specifically mention a winter attack. The closest we get is in the Chronicle, where there are two entries for 876 and 877 that both relate to Guthrum's attack. 
So I suppose Pollard's thinking was that it must have happened towards the end of the year and spanned both years, which would mean that it would have happened in winter. But the reality is that, at best, that's just an educated guess based upon two ambiguous lines in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. But let's say that the guess is right and that the plan was to attack in winter. Even then, there still were problems because times had changed. Halfdan took Wessex by surprise because no one saw a winter attack coming. But Guthrum didn't necessarily have that luxury. Not only did the West Saxons now know that this was a possibility, but they were also all too aware of Guthrum's presence in Cambridge. And King Alfred would be a fool if he didn't station scouts to watch over him. So if Guthrum launched any ships, he would have to assume that Alfred would hear about it pretty much immediately. And while an army marching out of Cambridge might be marginally less obvious than a fleet of ships sailing down the River Cam, it still would have been quite the spectacle. So the question was, how would he get out of Cambridge while still maintaining the element of surprise? Well, Guthrum wasn't a fool, and he had spent his gap year wisely. He'd been sending out scouts, and he'd learned all the intricacies of Wessex. He learned their waterways, where their towns were, where their roads were, where their roads weren't. All this time, while Halfdan was fighting in the north and Alfred was politicking in the south, Guthrum was becoming familiar with the terrain of Wessex as good as any Dane could hope to, and he probably knew it as well as many of the West Saxons. So after all of this work, he knew all of the routes that he would need to take in order to keep out of the watchful eye of Alfred and his eldermen. Now... All he needed to do was get out of Cambridge quietly. And lucky for Guthrum, this was before lit streets and night vision. So leaving Cambridge on foot was actually pretty easy. All he had to do was wait for a dark night, probably a night in which there was a new moon or a heavy rain. And then he and his army would slip out the gates and down those hidden paths. And that's exactly what he did. So... It's 876, and at around the same time that Halfdan was handing out plots of Northumbrian land like some kind of Danish opera, Guthrum was leading an army of Vikings through Wessex, and no one was any the wiser. Well, mostly no one. Even though this was a long time ago, Britain wasn't a wild, unsettled place. Not even back then. Britain has been heavily farmed since the Bronze Age. And so we probably shouldn't imagine that Guthrum and his army were moving south along an empty woodland. Instead, they probably encountered people from time to time. And I doubt that things went well for those people. But stealth will only get you so far in terrain like this. Speed was the name of the game here. They couldn't stay hidden forever. And eventually, someone would see them and escape. They needed to get to their target and quickly. So they kept moving southwest. All throughout the night, they moved southwest. The next day, still they continued their relentless advance southwest. And this continued for some time. And they skirted around Basing, where Alfred and Halfdan fought. They snuck around Winchester, Alfred's capital. For 170 miles, they continued their exhausting and nerve-wracking march through the heart of Wessex until at last 
they reached a small royal tun at the inner end of Pool Harbor. It was called Wareham. This tun was ideal for Guthrum's needs. Not only because it held royal storehouses and was home to a number of very successful farms which could provide plenty of food for Guthrum's army, and not just because it housed a wealthy convent which could be easily looted for a quick profit. What made this site very special was the fact that, with very little work, it could be turned into a natural fortress. And the fact that Guthrum knew to make the 170-mile march for this specific ton tells you all you need to know about how he used his last year in Cambridge. He'd majored in geography, and that was paying off dividends. And once the Danes approached the town, there was no reason to be secret about it anymore. So Guthrum ordered the advance, and the people of Wareham were taken entirely by surprise. I mean, who could have predicted something like this? It would be one thing if Guthrum attacked by sea. Wareham was prepared for something like that. They were a harbor town, after all. But by land? This close to Winchester? Anyone even suggesting something like this was possible would have been laughed out of town. And yet, that's exactly what happened. We don't know how much of a fight Wareham put up, but based upon the accounts, it doesn't look like it was much. My guess is that the locals probably fled as soon as they saw the approaching Danes. And those that didn't see it probably started to run as soon as they heard their neighbors screaming. However it was carried out, by the end of the day, Guthrum had taken possession of a fort in the heart of Wessex. And not just any fort. The town itself was squeezed between two rivers. On the north side was the River Tarrant, and on the south side was the River Froome, and both rivers joined together at the east end of the town and emptied into Pool Harbor. This meant that unless the West Saxons wanted to attack over a waterway, their only avenue to approach the Tun was from the west, and that western approach was protected by an earthen rampart. Thanks to the sheer audacity of Guthrum's plan, he now had a well-stocked and fortified settlement of about a hundred acres. And from their new base of operations, we're told that they immediately set about raiding the nearby countryside. Now, if you're imagining them striking nearby towns and running around looking for valuables, I think you've got this all wrong. The Danes weren't stupid. Alfred and the men of Wessex would be arriving soon. And when they did the Danes could find themselves under siege for a very long time. So they didn't need gold. They needed provisions. And they also needed to deny Alfred and his army any opportunity to easily feed themselves on the local lands. So when Guthrum's army set about raiding, it probably was the farms, and they probably grabbed anything that could be carried off and then burned the rest. But where was Alfred during all of this? Well, probably wetting himself. Only a few moments ago, Alfred was feeling pretty good about himself, having solidified his control over his own nobles through a combination of politicking and bribery. Things were going pretty good. But now, thanks to one bit of bad news from a messenger, he was staring down the same Nordic barrel that had claimed the lives of so many of his siblings. And this wasn't just a small raid, nor was it a strike on the border marches of his kingdom. This piece of shit had marched right through the center of Wessex. He probably waved as he passed Winchester, 
And now there is a fortified camp within marching distance of, well, everywhere. The issue with Guthrum's attack wasn't simply that he was close in. It was the fact that he had come so far through Wessex and no one knew of it. The security issues here were painfully obvious. And now that Guthrum had figured it out, all the other Danish warlords who heard of this attack would likely be trying to exploit the very same weakness. Alfred would have known that should he survive this, he had a very serious problem when it came to his defenses. And that wasn't the only problem. The Danes tended to attack quickly and without warning. They didn't follow the rules of ritual combat. They were unpredictable, attacking when they should rest, resting when they should attack. Consequently, the Ferd, which had served Alfred's family so well over the decades, was failing him. Having an army of farmers that you could only conscript in times of need wasn't really suited for this new type of war that the Danes were bringing to his lands. And his were-odds wouldn't have served him that much better. What Alfred needed was a force large enough to counter the armies of Northmen that were attacking his kingdom. But he also needed them to be able to be ready at a moment's notice. Unfortunately, that wasn't the army that Alfred had. He had the Ferd. And the Ferd were living their lives. And they were in villages scattered all throughout his kingdom. So even though Alfred knew where Guthrum was... It didn't matter because he couldn't march. At least not yet. Going out there with just his hearthrod would have been suicide. He needed those farmers. But they took time to raise. Messengers would need to be sent out to the various eldermen. And those eldermen needed time to arm and transport their forces. It all took time. And that was time that Alfred didn't have. Furthermore, as Alfred waited with his court... I'm sure that he was wondering if he did enough to secure the loyalty of his nobles. And he was probably wondering how many of them would answer his call. If Elderman Unferth weighed his options and he decided to throw his lot in with the Danes in exchange for favorable treatment, well, Alfred might find himself without much of a fur to support him. So this wait and the wondering must have been agonizing. And when those first few warbands started trickling in, it must have been an enormous relief. All that politicking had paid off. The eldermen were answering the call. So Alfred gathered his forces as quickly as he could. And as Asser was keen to tell us, Alfred was courageous and ferocious. And I suspect that the shock of this attack heightened that aspect of his personality. This was a situation where I imagine that he wouldn't have wanted to wait for all his eldermen to arrive. Don't forget how Alfred behaved at the Battle of Ashdown. He charged into battle like a wild boar. And so my guess is, as soon as the first few warbands trickled in, he would have sent messengers out to the rest of the Eldermen to just join him at Wareham. Better to get there quickly than to allow Guthrum to get dug in any further. And besides, the trip itself wouldn't have been a very long one. Wareham is just down the way from Winchester. But... Regardless of how fast Alfred moved, it wasn't fast enough. And what they would have found as they approached the Royal Tun would have been horrifying. Once fertile farmland sowed with food that should have fed the whole region would have been desolate. The peasants would have all either run off or been killed. Livestock would have been seized or slaughtered to deny Alfred's men any means of easy resupply. 
Where there were crops, now there was just scorched earth. And there, to the east of all of this devastation, just behind an earthen rampart, lay the army of Guthrum. Upon seeing this, Alfred must have had flashbacks to Reading. After all, this was remarkably similar to the crisis that Alfred and his brother found themselves in when Halfdan made a surprise attack on the Royal Tun to the north. And while they did okay picking off Danish raiding parties that strayed outside of the walls, the West Saxon assault on Reading had proved to be a disaster that left their army shattered and took the life of one of the kingdom's greatest war leaders. The battle for Reading had turned out to be a massive low point for the House of Wessex. And here he was, with another fortified royal ton under Danish control, and a bunch of tall, pale warriors grinning smugly at him from behind their walls. Deja vu all over again. Fuck. But while it probably would have been suicide to try and take the walls, Alfred had to do something. Standing down and buckling without any show of force had been the death knell of Burgred. Alfred couldn't make the same mistake. The only option was to give these pirates a reason to want to back down and leave his lands. It worked with Halfdan, and while the War of 871 was costly, with Wessex losing countless lives, treasure, and even its king in the prosecution of that war, when Halfdan left, he left for good. Perhaps he could repeat that success with this new Viking king, Guthrum. So, Alfred gave the order and the West Saxons immediately besieged Wareham. He would starve them out. But it wasn't as easy as that. While Redding was certainly on his mind as he looked at his ton across burned fields, and while I have no doubts that it played a role in his decision to besiege the settlement rather than ordering an assault, I'm willing to bet that there was another ton that also would have haunted his thoughts. Snottingham. At Snottingham, King Burgred had the combined firds of Mercia and Wessex. But because of poor morale, the longer they stared at the Danish defenses, the more their forces evaporated, abandoning the Ferd in favor of their farms and villages. How long would Alfred's siege of Wareham last before he would have a similar problem with his army? How long before the Eldermen withdrew their warbands and the Ferd shrank? After all, they needed bodies in the field. A prolonged siege, even if they won, could still mean famine later in the year, simply due to all the crops that were left untended. The longer this went on, the more he risked having even his own nobles turn on him. The weaknesses of the West Saxon Ferd were being laid bare in 876. They took too long to raise. They were resistant to the idea of being a long-term standing army, and even if he could enforce discipline and keep them in the field throughout the siege, he was dooming his kingdom to famine. Something would have to change in the organization of Wessex. But first, he needed to deal with Guthrum. And as Alfred sat in his camp, keeping a watchful eye on Guthrum's forces, something must have been irking him. Something about this just wasn't right. Reading made sense because it was close to the West Saxon border. It was out there on the edge, and it was close to the compliant lands of Mercia, so it was easy to reach. So was Snottingham, for that matter. That was close to Danish-dominated Northumbria. But Wareham? That was weird. 
I mean, this wasn't a border town, and it's not like there weren't West Saxon border towns out there. And yet Guthrum had marched 170 miles from Cambridge, right through the heart of Wessex, in order to take this specific ton. And in doing so, any supply lines and support that he could rely on were several days away through absurdly hostile territory. Why were they even here? And why were they content to sit behind their walls, taunting the West Saxon Ferd? The Danes always had a plan. So what exactly was Guthrum's? Because this kind of looked like the Soviets invading Colorado, Red Dawn style. Well, here's the thing. We don't actually know for sure, but scholars have a theory. And Alfred wasn't a fool, so I'm betting he had a theory too. And it was probably a theory that was causing his Crohn's disease to flare. See, the Danes weren't deep behind enemy lines. At least not from their perspective. Wareham was on the sea. And Guthrum was right where he needed to be. He was comfortably waiting behind his walls because this wasn't an invasion force. This was just a beachhead. And he was making preparations for the actual invasion force that would be coming via the sea. And as soon as Alfred realized that, he would have known that he needed to get Guthrum out of his lands as soon as possible. But unfortunately, they were locked in a stalemate. The Danes didn't have a force large enough to sally forth and break the West Saxon Ferd, and the West Saxons didn't have enough men to be able to take the walls. So all they could do is stare at each other, and probably hurl insults. But... This situation was as good as it was going to get. And if Alfred's suspicions turned out to be true, and Guthrum was establishing a beachhead, then he needed to bring this to a close before the reinforcements arrived. Luckily, Alfred still had one card left he could play. He could pay them off. So the message was sent, and the two kings began negotiating terms. Guthrum wanted money. Alfred wanted a guarantee of peace. It wouldn't be enough to pay a Dane Geld in exchange for a bare promise to leave. That's what Burgred had done. And it was clear that these Danes didn't respect or honor that kind of agreement. And if Alfred made that mistake, he could find himself having paid a huge sum of money for nothing, just like his brother-in-law had done. He needed to find a way to bind them to this agreement. And why shouldn't he be able to? For generations, the kings of Wessex had found ways to make allies of former enemies. Perhaps, if he set the right terms, he might be able to not just buy a temporary peace, but a long-standing one. And that would give him the time and space necessary to rebuild his kingdom and address the security issues that this whole situation had highlighted. Perhaps he might even accomplish what so many of these accords had sought, but never managed to acquire the fabled Peace Eternal. So, Alfred somehow arranged a meeting with the Danes. And at this meeting, however it looked, Alfred made several demands of his own. As his forebears had done in generations past, he insisted that the Danes provide him with high-ranking hostages. Their lives would provide a guarantee for the Danish promise to leave West Saxon lands, as their lives would be forfeit if Guthrum reneged. Asser tells us that he also demanded that they swear sacred oaths upon holy relics that they would uphold the agreement. And this was pretty common for agreements during this period. But there was a problem with this style of oath. 
Guthrum and his men weren't Christian. And the Danes had already shown that they didn't place the same degree of fear and reverence for church-sanctioned oaths the way the Christians did. And a pinky swear only works if everyone agrees that you can't break a pinky swear. But Alfred was a practical man. And in the Chronicle and in the account by Athelweird, we can see exactly how practical he was. Instead of relying simply upon Christian objects, he decided to use something the Danes might actually care about. So we're told that Alfred demanded that the Danes swear upon their arm rings, which were typically associated with the worship of Thor. Now, it's not surprising that Asser, the monk, decided to omit the part where Alfred took part in a pagan ritual. But honestly, it wasn't a bad plan, and it might actually resolve this conflict. So the bargain was set. Alfred's nobles were dispatched to provide the Dane Guild. Hostages were acquired, and the oaths were made. Miraculously, the situation had turned from a standoff sitting on powder kegs to a truce. The West Saxons and the Danes had found their accord. Alfred and Guthrum would now be friends. The Danes would leave West Saxon lands, and they would finally have peace. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at the British History Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And I'll write your name. Alright, it's time for another pub quiz. You know the drill. Question one. What does Altklut mean? Question two. Kenneth McAlpin had a son named King Constantine the First, and after he got involved, the kingdom of Altklut was renamed. What was their new name? And as a bonus point, where did their new name hail from? Question three. Halfdan had control over Northumbria, Mercia, and East Anglia. He then marched north to bring war to the lands that would eventually become Scotland. Sir Frank Stanton wasn't impressed by this move and thought that it was a blunder because there wasn't a lot of treasure up there and it was far away. But what might Halfdan have been doing? Why might he have gone north? Question 4. St. Cuthbert was a pretty active guy, even in death. We've already seen him take two post-mortem road trips with his closest friends. And right now, he's on a hundred-year-long walk that will eventually end in Durham. But where was St. Cuthbert originally buried? Question 5. King Burgred of Mercia was ousted from power by the Danes, and a new king was put in charge. And this new king started heavily taxing his subjects and even took church lands. And he was soon referred to as, quote, a foolish king's thane, end quote. And while that does sound stuffy, it was actually a pretty sick burn. But my question to you is this. What was his name? Question six. True or false? Modern Orcadians trace the majority of their DNA to Scandinavia. Question seven. Why do many scholars think that there were a lot more Scandinavian place names in isolated sections of Northumbria than in the more densely settled regions? Question eight. What was the name of the man who seized Normandy from the Franks and ultimately would become the founder of the House of Normandy? Question nine. In 876, who was the Danish Oprah? 
Question 10. King Guthrum led his army on a daring surprise assault upon Wessex in 876, and he seized what town before Alfred even knew what was going on? And bonus question here, what features made it really useful to Guthrum? All right, let's see how you did. Question one, what does Altklut mean? The Rock of the Clyde. Question two, Kenneth McAlpin had a son named King Constantine I, and after he got involved, the kingdom of Altklut was renamed. What was their new name? And as a bonus point, where did their new name hail from? The new name was Strathclyde, and it was a Gaelic name. Question three. Halfdan had control over Northumbria, Mercia, and East Anglia. He then marched north to bring war to the lands that would eventually become Scotland. But what might Halfdan have been doing? Why might he have gone north? He might have been establishing control over his brother's former lands and consolidating power in Britain so he could retake Dublin. Question four. St. Cuthbert was a pretty active guy, even in death. We've already seen him take two post-mortem road trips with his closest friends. But where was St. Cuthbert originally buried? He was originally buried at Lindisfarne. Question five. King Burgred of Mercia was ousted from power by the Danes, and a new king was put in charge. And he was soon referred to as, quote, a foolish king's thane, end quote. What was his name? His name was King Cholwulf II. Question six, true or false? Modern Orcadians trace the majority of their DNA to Scandinavia. False, two thirds of the DNA of modern Orcadian women trace their DNA to the indigenous population. And the majority of modern Orcadian men also trace their DNA to the indigenous people. Question seven, why do many scholars think that there were a lot more Scandinavian place names in isolated sections of Northumbria than in the more densely settled regions? Because in the denser areas, Scandinavians would have to live closely with and work with the local Anglo-Saxons, and that would have resulted in a quicker cultural drift. Question eight. What was the name of the man who seized Normandy from the Franks and ultimately would become the founder of the House of Normandy? Hrolfer, also known as Rollo. Though, Ralph is also acceptable. Question nine. In 876, who was the Danish Oprah? Halfdan. Question 10. King Guthrum led his army on a daring surprise assault upon Wessex in 876, and he seized what town before Alfred even knew what was going on? And bonus question here, what features made it really useful to Guthrum? Well, Guthrum seized Wareham, and what made it useful was that it was close to the sea, it was bounded by rivers, and that meant that it was easily defended and accessible by sea routes. Okay, I hope you did well, and I'll see you on the next one.